really hope we didn't do this quote already. And I'm just like a pothead and I forget things. So I'm going to make a list of the quotes that we've used and send you a link to that spreadsheet. So you can also look back if you think maybe we've used a quote before and you want to use it, whatever. Okay. Good so call. we have a record because I've forgotten. You'll have to tell me if we used this one already. <laughs> okay. Okay. You don't have to burn Oh, books. man, yes, Brandy. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we didn't. <laughs> you don't have to burn books to destroy a culture. Just get people to stop reading them. Ray Bradbury. That was Brandy. I'm Kayla, and this is Two Bitches Reading Books. You really freaking got me there. I've been sitting here sweating this for like 15 minutes because I picked this out last night. I'm never ready in advance. And of course, so I had time to overthink, you know, like yeah. I should wait to the last minute for everything because my anxiety is just going into overdrive. <laughs> that's so funny. No, I was like, I'm going to mess with her because that's funny. <laughs> I just set myself up right for that. You did. You did. <laughs> this book gave me nightmares last night. Oh my gosh. Because I was like, the library what the of fuck? the dead. Yes. Because of the ghouls. The ghouls. I didn't read that scene until this morning. So I totally feel you. Well, I think it's because I binged it all yesterday. Yeah. It was like 70 pages yesterday. So like, that's where my mind was. So I'm not going to do that again. Right. And your sleep cycle just got messed up over the weekend randomly. So your brain's neither here nor there. What did you dream about? Ghouls? Were they getting you? Yes, they were. And it was like the bad ones. It was it was the Volcori Volcors. Oh my god, the, the ones, ones that, that eat your souls. souls. Oh yes. my gosh, you don't. And want I that. like woke up and I was like breathing really heavy. And Sebastian was still awake by me, and I was like, <gasps> <gasps> Yeah. Was... Did he help you, or was he like, Shut the fuck up, mom? I think he just looked at me like I was an idiot, and then went about his pretending <laughs> to try and sleep. Well, I'm really sorry. Um, gosh, I hope I don't get nightmares because I didn't read about the soul eating or the scary ghouls in that library cemetery until this morning, but I would have dreams like that. Should I Google what it means if ghouls are chasing you in your dream? Yeah. I mean, it's probably directly related to your reading, but maybe not. I mean, I also had sleepy time tea last night, so I was like, what if it's the sleepy time tea? Oh, for sure. Like, what if there's drugs in it and I'm tripping? Ghouls in dreams, just the first freaking thing that Google spit out for me from dreams.metroeve.com. To dream of a ghoul represents negative attitudes or belief systems that feel good or benefit from hindering others. So you're trying to get away from somebody who's shitty? Is it Ron DeSanto? Whatever his yeah. name is. <laughs> Ron DeSuckass. Ron DeGiorno. <laughs> Ron DeGiorno. Okay, well, I feel like this is only the first third of the book, so don't drink that tea the day that you read <laughs> Yeah. No, not at all. <laughs> You're going to be ghost talking next. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. You're going to be, like, getting fun. yourself an Imbira and out there jamming in the streets. Are you liking this book so far? Yeah, it's not something that I would normally read. But I do, I do like it so far. Would I have picked it? No. Well, I'm here for you. This yeah. is my favorite genre, as you know. This is yeah. technically, like, everywhere I read says that this is YA, but they say fuck a lot. And she also talked about, like, fanny tickles, which is literally, like, tickles in your vajay. Did you happen to notice that little phrase? It's from Love Island. <laughs> I literally no. had to look at when this book came out. Like, did this come out? After Love Island came out? We'll get there. I have a note there. We're going to talk about it. <laughs> okay, because some of the things I was like, I was like, I'm just going to assume that this is just a different language because I don't know what, like, I didn't get the, um, 
The English English memo? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it is a different language. It is a different language. You know what? Even in American English, we have different languages. Yeah. Let's get into this bad boy. I'm not really supposed to be doing this, but a girl's got to get paid. So here we go. (laughs) That could be anything. Prostitution. (laughs) Exactly. But we quickly find out she's 15. So thank God she's not prostituting anything. Except for her powers. Except for her powers, indeed. Do you love how everything is just so, like, fucking magic is so bureaucratic that there's an over 3,200-page book of rules about magic? I love it. And then it makes me think, like, you know, I've gotten really into, like, astrology, like, within the last year and, like, manifesting and stuff. And I'm just, like, reading this book. I'm like, I wonder how much of this is actually true. I've been telling you for years that I'm a witch. I fully believe that there's magic somewhere. So. And especially if we're doing the simulation and, or other timelines, like you can't tell me there's not magic. You can't tell me I've made, I am made of dust from a star and there's not magic. I don't know. I'm not buying it. We just have to tap into it. Yeah. Our, our conscious, our super consciousness. Yeah. Ayahuasca. Yes. Matt and I were just, who, who did ayahuasca? Was it Aaron Rodgers? Fucking Aaron Rodgers saying he's no. the best quarterback ever? It was Chelsea Handler. Well, I think Aaron Rodgers did it too. He did. He did yeah. do it recently because now people are pissed off that he's not suspended from the NFL, but that one guy who smoked a bunch of weed is. Why are they suspending anyone over weed? Like more sports people should smoke weed and not drink. Like yeah. I love that for them. Yes, and not take painkillers. Oh my God, because one of them is ruining your liver. One of them is ruining your liver, and it's not marijuana. And rewiring your fucking brain, legitimately. Yeah. (sighs) Man, we're getting off topic. One sentence into it. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Um, How do you get a hold of ayahuasca? Like, how how rich do you have to be? I've never met a dealer who's just having that on. Okay, so I don't know if you can do. I don't know if you can get a hold of it here in the United States. But Chelsea has a Netflix special, Chelsea, Ju- Chelsea Does Drugs, and she goes to Peru, and they have, um, like, doctors, mm-hmm. like, uh, spiritual doctors, that you can do it in this hut, and you drink it, and, like, they sit there, and they watch you, and they make sure you're okay, and they, like, They guide you, you go- on your spiritual yes. journey. Man, that sounds... Yes. I wish I was rich. That sounds like some real legit rich people shit. Yeah. I'll have to look into how much it is. Yeah, for sure. You want to go to, you said Puerto Rico? Peru. Peru. Let's go to Peru. It's gorgeous there. It They've is. got all kinds of like things to be toured and things. Yeah. I sound like a go, white person. Gosh. After we go be white tourists, we can go and <laughs> yeah. do drugs. That sounds perfect. The main attraction is the drugs, but we're going <laughs> to act like we're there for other things. Exactly. Snap some pictures or whatever. Yeah. People, people don't need to know. We'll tell them about our journey when we come back. Yeah. Oh, I love it. All right. So Ropa is, has had a super long day. She's walked 15 fucking miles on foot, which is crazy. Just so she could get her money. Feels good to sit my butt on the sofa and veg for a mo. Mo. Her, her inner dialogue is just fucking hilarious. So her client is asking her if she wants some tea and she's like, only if you have biscuits. And she says, you always have to squeeze them for more. <laughs> Fuck these rich people. Fuck them. <laughs> oh, but man. it also seems like she doesn't really, like, work for a lot of rich people. Like, rich people aren't wanting her services. Yeah. But we can get into that. So she's at this house to do 
kind of a seance because these people bought an older house, a stone cottage, and it's haunted. And now they've had someone come and bless it to try and get like a priest come and bless it, but it didn't do anything. So now they had called on Ropa for her to try and banish the spirit. Yep. It is a creepy little cottage. She's talking about how there's a framed print of like the original owner, Thomas Carlyle, who sounds like a sexist piece of shit. Mm-hmm. And just one of the themes throughout this book is all the rich people have framed portraits of like rich people who they aren't actually related to and haven't really affected their lives in any way. And that's just such a rich person thing to do. Like, It's like how people now idolize Elon Musk. For sure. That's what these people are doing. I don't know how to like summarize this book because it's through her point of view. And And she is seeing everything, like maybe a little ADHD. Yeah, but I was wondering too, because when I first read it, I thought like it was like in the early 1900s, but then in a couple pages when she's leaving the McGregor's houses, she's listening to an audio book on a phone. Yeah, and she likes podcasts. All of the shows on the TV are from, like, back in the day. They're all reruns. Law and Order SVU and stuff like that. Murder, She Wrote, which is the 1980s show. Yeah. And at one point, she specifically says, she mentions a movie that's from 1996. And she mentions that's the good old days when everything was, like, shiny and looked great. And it's really funny because that movie is about somebody who's addicted to heroin and (laughs) has a teenage girlfriend. (laughs) It's... It's not really a great depiction of any point of the world, but it's a good perspective on how she views the world or how her world is, because her world world is worse. Yeah. So she's in this place trying to collect the money for, like, doing the seance or explaining how this is all going to work in this rich person's house, and they go to get her tea, and she can literally hear them talking about how young she looks and how she's got green dreadlocks and black lipstick, for Christ's sakes. What is that even? Goth? Punk? I don't know. (laughs) And they were like, I thought we were getting an older woman with experience, and she goes, you know, I can hear you. I'm right here. And then they stop talking. And she's just irritated at this point. And she's like, I just need the money. So she just finishes it. And I love that she called them out because what fucking dicks. I, I was just thinking, I was like, man, she has no patience. No if patience. Were, if, if I was the one, I would just pretend like I didn't hear them until I was leaving. Then I would tell them my age, like sort of like she does. I think I would have just left out the front door and starved that day. But I don't know. I don't know how bad it is in the apocalypse. I just fucking hate people. Yeah. So um, she, her grandma does the same thing that she does, except her grandma's retired now. She doesn't do house calls anymore. So she just informs them that I know you called for her, but I'm doing it and I can do it. And now they have their foot in their mouth and they're like, we we didn't mean to. We're sorry. We didn't mean to. The lady's shaking as she hands her her tea. (laughs) (laughs) Bitch. That's what you get. (laughs) They're talking about how they actually have a bishop himself come out and do an exorcism. And that didn't work. So Ropa's kind of like rolling her eyes because it's only 50-50 whether or not the religious people are going to work or not. They can't always actually commune with the dead. So now they're moving on to doing their actual seance. They shut off all the lights. They have a little lamp. TV's off. 
it's just silence. And they sit there for three hours just waiting. I don't know how they just sat there in complete silence, but the male of the household can't fucking stand it. And he's like, how much longer? And she just doesn't even talk to him. She's just like, hey, talk to the hand. Shut the fuck up. (laughs) I already asked them both to be good little church mice. Yeah, and they're awful at it. (laughs) Just kidding. Three hours is hard to deal. Yeah. But then it gets super fucking cold in there. Everybody starts getting goosebumps. The picture, the creepy portrait that I mentioned earlier starts clacking against the wall. So obviously it's coming. I was getting scared at this point. (laughs) I wish to a little bit. She says something sickening wafts through the air. Less a scent. It's more of a feeling of forbidden. A sin. Decadence. The smashing of a taboo that leaves an open wound on the soul of the world. That's a scary line. Mr. Hoochoo, that is a very scary line to write. (laughs) Leaves a wound on the soul of the world. Our world doesn't really have a soul, though, so that might not work. Anyways, everybody's obviously, like, freaking out. Doors are opening. Doors are shutting. I'm scared. This is some poltergeist shit. Eventually, Ropa's just like, are you done? <laughs> like, are you done, sir? This is quite the racket you're making here. And she's just gonna, like, shame this ghost like he's a fucking child. <laughs> but he was making a lot of noise. She said he sounds like some animal squealing Ugh. in a slaughterhouse. And then she pulls out her Im- mirror but. Okay, I don't even know how to say that. It's an Embira. Embira. So she can communicate with him. The McGregors are still huddled together, scared. And she just starts playing a tune. She's asking the couple to clap their hands. And then all of a sudden her tempo gets to a point to where the ghost can start talking to her. Mm-hmm. This Embira thing is like a little keyboard. She plays music and that's what translates the ghost talk into English for her. And she tells him, you're not supposed to be here. I don't know what unfinished business you have, but this is your last night on this plane. I give you two choices. You can either make a small request, one within reason, and leave of your own volition, never to come back. Or I cast you out to the other place. It's all the same to be. Speak now. And I feel like this casting out to the other place, she threatens it a couple of times throughout the book, and that must be really scary. Like, is that the every there where the scary soul-eating demons are and those ghosts are just milling about aimlessly? I don't know. That's what I was wondering, but then I was also wondering because she talks about the other place where the souls just go and evaporate because I feel like with the every there, they can come and go. But the other place, oh yeah, it says right here, the other place is a one-way street. You get banished there and you never come back. And they're stuck there forever. So um, they don't want to fuck around with this girl who can see them. So finally, the ghost like shows who he really is. And he's basically a dude who died a long time ago. He was murdered. He was buried in a shallow grave. And I feel like this would be a super fucking hard job. Because that sounds so sad. And you're the only person that can see this. She's probably not going to tell anyone. She's just going to internalize that whole story. Ugh. No wonder she is the way she is. So they go and find the body in chapter two. And she tells the McGregors that they're going to have to dig it up and give it a proper burial because of how the guy died before his time. That was his reasonable request. He's not going to leave their cottage until that happens. And it has to be a Presbyterian ceremony because Mm. he was a Protestant, not an Episcopalian. Which is probably why the Episcopalian uh, dude that they brought from the church didn't get rid of him last time. Well, that's That's, what I was thinking at this point. That's what I was thinking, too. So then she asked for the payment, and they paid her. And this is the really shitty part. Gosh, we're literally on page 10. And this world already sucks so much. 
obviously Ropa got to be this cold-hearted person that she is because she lives in this world. So are we surprised? No. She gets the Ducats. That's what they uh, pay, 20 of them. That's a lot of money. We kind of find out later that her rent is 50 Ducats. So that's half of her rent that she just made in three, four hours. So that's a big deal. Yeah. Which when you think about it, it's not that bad. Yeah. She scribbles out a receipt. Like, there's so much bureaucracy. We haven't gotten into all of it, but there's tons of rules, paperwork, a freaking spiel, like Miranda writes (laughs) before you even get into helping people. So anyway, she gets her money, lets them know, by the way, I'm nearly 15, not 12. (laughs) She mentions that uh, her birthday's not for another seven months, but it sounds better than 14. Yeah, she doesn't need to. She doesn't feel like she needs to tell them. She's 14. 14, and this is just a day in her life. This is what she does. So she takes off, headed back home on foot. We find out later her bike's been stolen. That's why she's walking so much. She's just listening to, she says it's the pod app, and she starts listening to a lecture, and she likes audiobooks and podcasts. She uh, usually listens to history, science, true crime. She says it's easy because she's walking around all day, so a 24-hour day will turn into 32 because... She just is listening so much. Yeah, she's walking and learning. She's splicing time. She's multitasking. Yeah, so as she's going, she hears heavy footsteps behind her because she has one headphone out, which you should always do. She takes the other one out, and she's getting ready for someone to attack her. And then all of a sudden, she hears, you there, stop. And then they say, police, you either stop now or release the hound. She stops. The police start badgering her. We find out at the bottom of page 11 that the cops don't drive around anymore. They They actually are walking around. She's saying that it just made all hell break loose. Like, the cops just hassle everyone now. And she's telling them, I'm sorry, officer. I didn't realize. And she's thinking they stroll over like they've got all the time in the world. One of them's whistling. She's fucking scared. With good reason. And they're saying that she's ignoring police officers. And she's like, oh, it's not like that. And he's like, oh, I think it is. And he asks his partner. And his partner's like, yep, that's right. Are these serious offenses, Johnson? I'm afraid so. Juvie's full up. So we won't have no choice but to throw her in with the big boys. Might be a few months before she gets in front of the sheriff with the system clogged up as it is. (sighs) Nothing we can do. Law's a law. Ropa says, I didn't mean to. And then one of the officers says, is she threatening a police officer? I believe she is. I'm fearing for my life right now. They don't even bother to play good cop, bad cop. These days, there's only one type of cop left. (sighs) Anyway, they end up basically telling her she can go if she gives them all of her money. So she does. They robbed her and then said, the weak are meat. Get your arse home, kid. It's past your bedtime. Like, they robbed and insulted her. Like, this is the type of person who wants to be a cop. This is the only type of person who wants to be a cop. Right here. (laughs) And to put salt in the wound, they gave her a couple coins back. Two pennies. That fucking sucks. And honestly, is this very far into our future? (laughs) This feels like it's, we're, we're halfway there. I know in Arizona, you can't record cops after like, (gasps) like you can't be within a certain distance of them. Yeah. Fucking stupid. It's but a let's real... be upset at the FBI. I love the FBI. I fucking love the FBI. You know what you should do is not announce a raid that you're going to collect evidence at somebody's house, knowing that that person has destroyed evidence before. That's why they don't announce the raid. It happens to a lot of people. 
especially people that evade taxes, right? Yes. Yes. A lot of raids are done without announcement. Like, I don't know, Brianna Taylor? Yeah. <laughs> this is nothing new. Now we're <laughs> on chapter three. So the one thing I do like about this book is that the chapters are short. Yes, I've been enjoying that too, because I can like read in between doing other things. Yeah. And I don't feel like I have to like sit here all day to read one chapter. Exactly. I like it too. He's a good writer. This chapter starts with, they say fools and their money are soon parted, but goddamn. <laughs> I know, Ropa. Gosh, you had to deal with those really frustrating, annoying rich people too. Like, ugh, I hate it. As a medium, don't you think she should have like seen that coming? Well, she says here, I'm not psychic. I couldn't have known this would happen today of all days. Well, I guess, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Maybe she should start taking her grand's lessons more seriously so she could get in touch with her magic better. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> oh, man. She and says at least she didn't get a... her ass kicked by the bobbies, too. Why is that is... even an option? Yeah, yeah. They're taking a lesson out of the American Cops playbook. For sure. And this wasn't the first time that she's got hit by a shakedown with Johnny Laws. Mm -hmm. But she's on her way home now. It's just talking about where she lives and how everything used to have, like, it was beautiful, and now it's just kind of ran down. Everything's dead. Yeah. There's weeds overgrowing everywhere, and, like, there's a barricade in the middle of the road, for example, and it says bits of metal poke up from the road where they had a barricade, but most of it was stripped for scraps ages ago. So she's just describing how, like, there's buildings here. They just look like shit because everybody's stolen everything off of them so they could sell it so they could eat. And basically. as she's walking, she notices something in the light. And she says normally she doesn't do business in the street, but her brain's scrambled and she needs cash. So she takes out her Imbira and she starts playing it. I was so confused at this point. My note is chasing cash. No one hired her. Who will pay? Will the ghost pay? And like, this is where we get into all the bureaucracy. It's just so freaking weird. It's confusing. <laughs> oh, man. Just a 14-year-old is over here, like, reading people their rights and shit. It's crazy. But yeah, she pulls her instrument out. She starts playing. This ghost is really impatient. Booga, wooga, wooging. And I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. That's the noise that they make before she plays and translates their ghost speak. <laughs> she says, give me strength. <laughs> Do you want me to read the terms and conditions? Oh, yeah. Go for it. <clears throat> it's a legal requirement, mind you. Yes. This is what Ropa tells the ghost. Okay. I can deliver a message from you to anyone you want within the city limits. Although at the moment, I'm not doing the town center. Sorry. Side note, I'm interested to find out what happens there. Yeah. Terms and conditions. There's a three-tier charge for this service. Banded in a low flat fee, a middle flat fee, and a high flat fee, plus 20% VAT. The band you fall into depends on the length, complexity, and content of the message. If you cannot pay the bill, the fee will be reverse charged to the recipient with a small surcharge. Please note the service does not transmit vulgar, obscene, criminal, or otherwise objectionable messages but a fee may still be incurred if we decide to pass on a redacted version of the message. Do you understand? Booga. <laughs> so you can't send any dick pics from the grave. <laughs> no, none. And then it makes me think of those commercials that you hear, and it's all so super fast. Oh, yeah. All the, all the small print. So she says, I'll take that as a yes, because she hasn't translated yet. She's still playing, and she can see it more. And she's just talking about how they all look different, 
and she has like puffy cheeks and two dim zones where the eyes should be. New deados go through this phase, and she just always calls the dead people deados. I think that's hilarious. <laughs> She's out there telling them about the twenty percent tax that they have to pay on their communications bill, but also calling them deados because she's 14. <laughs> she said the guys who are dressed have usually been around a while and don't often get messages from them because they're less likely to have living relatives that you can bill. And then this is what I highlighted because it's hilarious. She says, I find the whole haunting business a bit pathetic. If I died, when I die, I ain't never coming back to this shit show. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I laughed at that part too. Finito. I mean, there's nothing good going on in her world. The cops are literally walking around on the sidewalk shaking people down because they don't make enough money either. Like, Jesus Christ, I wouldn't come back here either. But she says, no way I'm coming back from the every there like some loser. So this is the first time we're hearing about the every there. Hades Hotel. <laughs> it's fantastic. She's still playing some music and she's starting to translate and gets this ghost into pretty clear focus. And we find out the ghost is Nicola Stewart from Baberton. Rope is asking if she can pay or if she should do the reverse charge. And Nicola can't afford to pay, but her son is missing. And she keeps trying to ask Ropa to do something. And Ropa just is like, can, can people pay? And yeah. Like, no. And she's like, your partner? No. My parents, they can't afford it. So then Ropa's like, if you can't pay for it, we can't do it. Yep. And this is kind of important because it comes back later in the book. She says, sorry, I don't work for free. Let me make and myself crystal clear. I'm saying I need to earn a living. That's what being alive is about, in case you've forgotten. My advice, call the police or find a clairvoyant. This ain't my hustle. R.I.P. <laughs> oh, my God. That's cold-hearted. Cold and then she just stops playing. And I would just like to note that, like, playing that instrument and having a full-on conversation with somebody is, like, that's a lot of brain power. Yeah, I think it would be more than $25 for three hours. And that's the end of chapter three. She just lets her fade to black. End scene. Chapter four starts and she's still walking. This time she's getting pretty close to her house, I think. Mm -hmm. She's still describing her neighborhood. There's people talking in the alleyways and like laughing. There's sheep and chickens. She says this place has its own pulse, its own rhythm. Sets it apart from the rest of the city. The university up the way says we're an eyesore, that we shouldn't be here. Screw them. So it seems like they just like, found some land that nobody was living on and like plopped their shit down and honestly i feel like that's what we're headed towards because it's too expensive to buy it yeah too expensive to do anything people don't even own half this shit anymore anyways it's corporations billionaires and zillow they live in a caravan so i'm thinking like an old like volkswagen minivan and her fox dog breeds her total vixen she says she should have put her in the pot ages ago and i was like googling that phrase because i was wondering if it was some kind of english phrase for like euthanizing a dog but no i think she legit means she was gonna cook her and eat her that's what i was thinking it was too. <laughs> so she gets inside it's warmer in there she mentions that it's way too cold to be fooling around with that fox out there and she sees her grandma she asks yeah. her about her day. And Ropa said that she had to cast out a poltergeist. She ignores telling her grandma about the police run-in because she doesn't want to scare her. And her grandma just says, I hope you were kind. She says the lost especially deserve an ounce of kindness. Sometimes it helps show them the way. Well, Grant, she could have been kinder. <laughs> she could have been kinder. This is the first time her grandma brings up being kind which I think is a good thing because Ropa's not that nice. Her grandma is the salt of the earth. I think that that phrase was invented for people like her. She's just the nicest lady ever. So wise, so patient. Understanding. 
Yeah. Ropa asks about Isby, her little sister, and if she got her homework done before she went to bed. So sweet. Nice little moment after the long day that she had. The last paragraph on page 21, like, broke my heart. She said she already had tea and scones at the McGregor's, so that'll save us some grub tonight. Means Gran can have lunch tomorrow. Three meals instead of two. I relax and tell her about my visits, leaving out all the bad stuff. I don't want to kill the vibe in our home. Graham ums and ahs to prod me along. When she listens to you like that, it's like the whole universe goes quiet just for her. Your voice is the only thing worth listening to, and only you matter. <sighs> she just got so much going on in her life, but at least she appreciates that she has somebody. Yeah. I'm sad that they have to ration food so much. I know. I know. That's what I was thinking, too, because then she, I think it's this chapter, she kills a squirrel. So oh, Yeah. She just, every day, carrying that slingshot around, waiting to get a rodent or a bird. And then we're on chapter five. How are you liking these Roman numerals? I don't. <laughs> I don't. It's hard to read them. Yeah. Is, is that because of America? Is everybody else good at reading Roman numerals and we just didn't learn this? That's what I'm thinking it is. <laughs> So she's making oatmeal porridge to start chapter five. She's talking about their electricity situation and how there's a guy on the estate who will basically steal electricity for you for a shit ton of money. And only one trailer is blown up so fine. So it's not too bad. Not too bad at all. Uh, She's talking about how it's cold outside or grim Mm -hmm. and the sun's hiding in the sky. And then all of a sudden they hear someone banging on the door and she calls him the troll which is basically their landlord. So yeah. their landlord owns the land. He makes them pay to live on it, from what I'm understanding, because he doesn't really own the land, but he could turn them in. That's what I was. That's what I got out of it. It seems like he does own the land. He doesn't own their caravan. He's just tar- charging them lot rent. And okay. so basically, he has like all this land because he's a farmer, but he never farmed it. And that's why it was like empty and all these people moved in. And once he realized they were there, he was just like, okay, well, I don't want to farm anyway, so I'll charge you guys money. Make your money somehow. Ropa says a less savvy man might have called the law, but he saw an opportunity to leech money off them. It's easier than getting up in the morning and tending the fields, which is what real farmers ought to do. That's how Majesty's Slum at Hermanston was born. And they call Mr. McAllister, or Farmer McAllister, troll because he looks like an actual troll. He has a big, bulbous, red, pitted nose with hair spiking out of it. Disgusting. Mm-hmm. His ears are the bushiest, the side of the equator, and his face is marked by deep lines. He's short and squat, spindly legs, a broad torso. And she says, I think he's missing a link, which is his brain. So she can only (laughs) afford to give him half of the money. And so he says, this is only half. (laughs) (laughs) The rest is coming, she says. He does. That's so funny. And he is just kind of badgering her on when she's going to have the money, where it's going to come from, because he's not a charity and he basically threatens her, like, I could be growing stuff on this field, and I'm letting you live here. You guys can go somewhere else. Get it sorted out. <laughs> he could be growing something on this field. The only thing you're <laughs> growing, sir, is your belly and your cholesterol. <laughs> <sighs> so she gives him what she's got, takes his threats, and finishes making breakfast, even though she's not hungry anymore. Her grandma can't take her medicine without something in her stomach, and her sister can't go to school. So she's going to do what she has to do. And she is just always 
swallowing what the fuck ever is going on in her day to take care of her people and it breaks my heart and makes me sad and then it seems like some time has passed on page 24 because she's now talking with gran and she asks if they've found willie matthews willie's the third missing boy that we've heard about because we heard about ollie and he went missing with his friend mark mark came back but this would be the third stolen boy. This is the first we hear from Izwi. She says he's probably sozzled somewhere. Ropa is trying to get Izwi to finish her porridge so she can go to work. But she knows Willie, that he's a nice kid, and that the Matthews live in a trailer on the opposite side of the canal, and that she used to go to school with him. And it's not like him to disappear, but it's not her problem. She just wants to get her sister to school. I can't help but wonder if Willie and Ollie and Mark know each other. Yeah. So they're kind of talking about how the caravan's kind of small, outside and in. It's an 89 Rallyman from the days when they built things to last. I'm going to look it up right now. Oh, it's just like a Winnebago. Yeah, it looks like just a camper that you tow. Yeah. That's so, I mean, not bad. comfy. Yeah, yeah, it's cozy for three people for sure. Yeah, maybe not something you'd want to live in full time, but... Hopefully that's not what it comes to. I feel like it's already what it's coming to. People are selling their houses and buying RVs instead of having a mortgage. You know, that's what I think too, and I've been following a lot of those accounts, so... The reason we're talking about the caravan is because Ropa's left, and she's, like, kind of looking at it from the outside. She has painted daisies and sunflowers on it, so you know it's one of those hippie ones. (laughs) It gives it a cheery look. (laughs) She leaves a bowl of porridge for River. How sweet. She says, I hope I don't get my arm chewed off. (laughs) This fox is sort of tame. Yeah. Power lines reach down over their heads from the pylons above. It's like a giant (laughs) way up in the sky is fishing down in their little houses. And if they touch, they spark and zap. Like, this... This electric, this living situation. It's like the apocalypse. Yeah, this is a post-apocalyptic time, for sure. We don't know what the, what are they calling it? The, it's not a disaster. It's a, we'll find out soon. Yeah. So she's taking her sister and a little boy that lives in that area to school right now. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden she hears a squirrel. She tells the kids to be quiet. And so she shoots the squirrel with her Y-shaped branch, which is basically... Oh, man, I can't even remember what it's called. Slingshot. She calls it a caddy. A caddy. And her sister gets really upset because her sister's a vegan. Yeah. (laughs) She tried to tell him to look away, but you can't stop that sound, that air sound, when a rock leaves the rubber band super fast. No. And then hits an animal. And then the little boy that she's with is excited because she hits it. Kraken shot, he says. (laughs) And he wants her to teach him, and she's like, no. That's so funny. She's really proud of her kill. Clean shot. Got her right in the head. They have such a tough life. Yeah. It's, like, legit, like, the old, like, Laura Ingalls Wilder days. Little House on the Prairie stuff. And she said that the critter is gray, so she's doing conservation work, protecting the red squirrels, because those are the ones that are endangered. Yeah. And then she throws it in her backpack. Yeah. Oh my gosh. She's really packing that slingshot just to kill things on her route. It's crazy. I wouldn't survive him this time. No. That's what I was thinking. She is thinking about how her little sister is not so keen on how they do this. But she's thinking no one can afford such strong morals. Life will break you in half. And I think we've started to see some of that in Ropa already in these first 30 pages. Her morals are give me money or shut the fuck up. 
Mm-hmm. And as she's walking to the school, she's just describing the area. There's flats around them. There's three high rises. And she said she'd give her kidney and a half of her liver to live out in one of those places because she, she doesn't like where she lives. And as they walk to the gate, no one says hello because they go to the same school as the rich people and the rich people don't like their kids playing with Junkieville Central. Yeah, exactly. Ugh. It just sounds awful. She drops them off and she like heads off on her way. Just talking more about how everything looks stripped because everything got stolen during the great scrap metal boom. She even admits that she made a good duke or two off of copper. Is that short for Ducat? <laughs> but she said, I never thought to hit a school like that. You got to have boundaries, ethical standards. You got to have some morals, but not too much, she's saying. Yeah, some morals, not a lot. She is thinking by the end of this paragraph here on page 28 that she's glad she can tick one thing off on her to-do list already today. And I'm like, she made breakfast for everybody. She talked to with her grandma. She picked up her sister's friend. She killed a squirrel. She dropped her sister's friend off and her sister at school. Like she's done way more than one thing today. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Anyway, so she's going off to the pharmacy. She needs to get her grandma's prescription because her grandma has diabetes. They'd run out of the cheap medicine at the pharmacy last time she went so she has to go back because she couldn't afford the other stuff and someone from behind her says roboristic and it's her bestie jomo and i think this is so weird they say god save the king long Long may may he he reign reign. and it just makes (laughs) you think of the handmaid's tale so fucking weird it is so weird so now we learn about jomo and how he and ropa went to school together before ropa decided to drop out ropa says you don't need to go to school um as long as you can plus or minus your shillings you don't need none of that nonsense in your noggin (laughs) so she's just talking about what a dork jomo is he's tall he's got glasses he's got an overlong afro no comb could ever run through it she says and they're just besties But he's awkward. He trips on his own shoelaces. She says that she hasn't seen him in a while. She's like, where have you been? He says that he's working at his dad's library and surrounded by a gazillion books. And she's like, oh, that's awesome. The library of the dead. For sure. I have a note right here saying he's working in the library of the dead. (laughs) Yeah. And she kind of pokes fun at him and is like, you know, that thing in your pocket, it's a mobile. You can use it to text time to time. And then she's like, I'm proud of you. Maybe you can take me there to show me around. And he says, I'd love to, but it's members only. And they made me sign a confidentiality contract. Her (laughs) response, you taking the piss? It's a bloody library. Whatever. Eat my vag. Your class is about to start. Text me and we can meet up or something. (laughs) Eat my vag. This is a YA book. I don't think so. Eat my (laughs) vag. All those people on Amazon writing the reviews for this need to actually read it. Yeah. These guys have just such eloquent mannerisms. (laughs) Eat my badge. (laughs) That's not education. Yeah, exactly. It's a ninth grade education right there. Just kidding. I was running around saying shit like that until I was like 28. Yeah, same. I think I still say (laughs) suck my dick every once in a while. You've got to. You got to put these bitches in their place. Yeah. So we're on chapter six now. See, they just go by so fast. So freaking fast. She's setting up her quote unquote weekly surgery. I just absolutely love the lingo in this book her little weekly ghost talking hut i guess she's about to make some dukes anyone coming out here this hour needs to have a big pair of cojones she brought river to help with the cojones situation 
for backup. She is telling us here on page 31 how she got River. She says she found her as a pup in the other undergrowth out near Ratho, wherever that is. And she was cute, and she thought she'd fatten her up and chow her down one day. <laughs> but her but- sister said no, and her gran stuck on her sister's side, so that's how River survived. Yeah, and thank goodness, because, like... <laughs> You're just going to eat a, a basically a puppy. Foxes are so cute. They're evil, but so cute. They really are so cute. And then she's thinking about how there used to be a real quarry up here back before she was born. But now it's a giant dump. Or it was a giant dump. Even after that, then it got full. And they covered it up and planted trees on it. And that's that's how the government really deals with shit. And so every couple of years, miners will go down and start digging for scraps. So everybody just calls it the pits because those guys do not fill it back in again. There's holes all over the place and a body or two has been stuffed in there. She says when it rains, it fills up and they look pretty. So that's nice. Plus <laughs> side Silver lining. So she's only been waiting 10 minutes and her first client emerges from the lane, she says. I didn't take any notes for a couple pages here. I was just reading. I was um, just reading too. She sees three more lights come and she starts to play her in Bira. And mm. I just really like that the ghosts say booga booga booga. <laughs> It always gives me a chuckle. This ghost apparently like wants to move back into his old house and his family does not really want that. And Ropa's like, I get that, but face it, there aren't too many people out there who want to live with the ghost full time and it's nothing personal. I'm sure they love you. They wanted you to know that. He calls it discrimination because people don't want to live with ghosts. He's sad because they want him to go to the beyond without them. But that's what death is, bro. And this just seems like the worst part of Ropa's job, like explaining to these ghosts, you're dead now. She will take another message to him because they will continue to pay for it for a little while. He has a nice family and they'll do a few more sessions. She'll get paid. She stays out till about 4 a.m. until the ghosts like go home. She said it's important to be out during the witching hour because mm-hmm. that's when supernatural activity is the strongest. She takes a lot of messages and she edits them in her head to let people know that they're doing all right. Like if they say like the other side's all right, they'll be like, okay, she's all right because they yeah. don't want. She doesn't want to confuse anyone. Oh, she takes a message for a kid named Kenny. And she's talking about how he's like a gelatinous mass, like strawberry jam. But he's a poet. He killed himself. He's just like this lovelorn teenager who threw himself off a bridge. And now he's just like from the dead writing poems to Claire because he wants her to notice him. But he doesn't have any credit left. And Claire's not willing to pay for any more messages. She's thinking... It's not her place to cast judgment on these things, but if she didn't want to know him when he was alive, what chances there now that he's an extra dimensional gummy bear? (laughs) And yeah, Kenny, if she didn't notice that you killed yourself, she's not the one. No, she's not going to care about you in the afterlife. Yeah, that's, that's just the harsh reality of the sitch, unfortunately. And so she says, don't come back without any money or I'll have no choice but to cast you out. RIP, man. And she says, I stopped playing my Embira. I'm done with this broke ass. Yep. You have to be ice cold in this trade. And Ropa is ice cold. And that's the end of that chapter. And we're on chapter seven. She's thinking about how she tries to stay away from graveyards when she's on the go. But that's easier said than done in this town. There's laws against solicitation. Only registered mediums can go there. And dedos tend to go mental on their home turf. So she's just out this morning, basically after being out all night collecting messages, now delivering them. Because if she doesn't deliver them, she doesn't get paid. I've said it before, but I'm going to say it right now. This seems like the worst part of her job. Yeah, like a cold collar. Yes, that's literally what she's doing. And she has to go do it in person because most of these 
dead people don't remember phone numbers for some reason. And if they did, like, would she do a phone call? Probably not. So, so she goes to South Guile, mm-hmm. which is Edinburgh's industrial zones, kind of meh, rundown warehouses, old offices turned into squats. It used to be bustling, and now it's not. The big banks are still guarded, though, but no one works there. She's talking about how there's some charity set up here, and it's nice to know some middle-class lady cares, but it don't solve <laughs> nothing for no one in the long run. That line makes me think of how useful thoughts and prayers are after a school shooting. Yeah. They're not. <laughs> no. Uh, so her first clients are two sons living with their mom their wives and seven kids between them and this is just such a fucked up situation like the dude who contracted her is the matriarch of the family Madi Raman I hope I'm saying that right he died and he left a will for one son to get the business and be in charge of everything but that son and his wife don't really like the mom and if they're in charge they're gonna put the mom in a home so the mom decided to act like the husband left a will saying the other son is in charge (laughs) So that she could stay in the house. But that son, like, isn't good at running the business. He wasn't ever meant to run the business. So now this guy is from the grave trying to litigate and get his real, like, will enacted. We've got so many people suing so many people. If this was real, this is exactly what would happen with it, isn't it? It is. I said at the beginning that I believe in magic and shit, but no. I guess I don't because Elon Musk would have figured out how to make 500 more billion off of it by now. Yeah, you're right. You're true. You're right. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I, I am. I am skeptical of his riches because I don't think he's a smart businessman. I think he's been given everything. You don't get so... to be a billionaire by pulling up your bootstraps. Like that's just a real fucking fact. Yeah, if you get to invent something. Yeah, Tesla wasn't his idea. He took it from somebody else. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? Most of those people who invented something that we're using right now that's great. They had co-founders who, for some reason, were cut out of the business. So, I don't know. I'm just saying. I don't think anybody we give credit to deserves the credit. No. (laughs) Except for Steve Jobs and my iPhone. Yeah, thanks, Steve. Thanks, We appreciate you. And uh, Jeff Bezos' wife, the real MVP for supporting his ass so we could have Amazon. Yeah, now she's feeding uh, kids in school. Do you just love how she's she's one of those people who's trying to give away, what, like 90% of her wealth before she dies? Do yeah. you remember the article that came out a few years ago of her saying that it is so hard because she's just so rich. Every day she gives away millions of dollars and she just makes even more millions back. Oh my gosh, well, she can give me a million. Just for real, just walk down the street and hand out checks, we'll take it. I'll give you my address. I'll give you my address. Let's write her in a letter. Yeah. Maybe she'll write us back with a $24,000 check. One small request. Uh, So what I thought thought was pretty cool here, and it's probably because this is in the future where people know like the other side exists, is that there's lawyers involved, but Mm -hmm. she's still able, because of like how the law works, that since she's licensed, as an extra natural communicator yeah. that the lawyers have to listen to her mm-hmm. because of the dead. Yep. But of course, because this is all legal and bureaucratic and all that, you only have a year after you die to go out and like try to get your will situation fixed. So this guy only has a year to get all of this fixed in the eyes of the law or whatever his wife and his other son are doing is going to be real. Yeah. So we don't really get closure on that. We just kind of get the, rundown of what's going on yeah but it's a pretty juicy story 
Yeah. All we know is she gets paid, but not as much as the lawyers. She says the only people getting fat here are the lawyers. I just get the suds. Because, of course, like, after the family goes through all of this, what's going to happen is they're going to hate each other. They're not going to have any money because they're just going to pay all the lawyers. Like, Mm-hmm. Stop having all this drama, y'all. You're just making lawyers rich. And we all hate lawyers. We we had a meeting hundreds of years ago, and that was determined. Yes. So then she goes down to her next client, I guess. Or she's trying to. And she says where they're going, it's pretty steep. But she passes by someone who says, God save the king. She says, long may he reign. Like, this is just people on the street. You have to do it. Oh, I hate it. I hate, I hate it. it. She's walking, and Nicola just appears again. She's getting stalked by this lady. She tries hiding in a nursing home. She's actually in the nursing home because she had a message for somebody. Man, I did not take a lot of notes and mark where I was. I didn't take very many notes on this one either. But she's been in here waiting to see her client here for half an hour, and a nurse comes in. Yep, and she says that she sees a blob on the back of the nurse, but she's not even going to tell her because it's none of her business. She's uh, real, not my monkeys, not my circus kind of person. Yeah, but she does say that you really have to know what you're doing if you're going to play in that league to get possessions off of people. Yeah, so she could even mess this lady up more, but I don't know, you could warn her. Yeah. It's a blob on her back. So she ends up telling the nurse that she needs to talk to this dying patient, and she's talking to the nurse about this form she has to fill out, and then the nurse has to sign it, and what she has to put on this form is, like, what the message is, and even though these messages are supposed to be completely confidential, because this lady's in a nursing home, it's not going to be confidential, because this nurse has to verify that Ropa actually told her what she was supposed to tell her, and, like, that, yeah. that kind of ruins the confidentiality of it. Yeah. That's what I was thinking, too. Uh, so, anyways, she's kind of upset by the end of it because this guarantees that she's going to get paid, this form does. But, of course, there's a bunch of red tape. It's going to take her six months to get paid for this little message. And then she's finally able to see Mrs. Gilruth. And she just basically lets her know that her husband says, It's almost time, my love. I've been waiting 20 years. I refuse to board Sharon's boat until you were on it by my side. We have all of eternity to look forward to. So she's basically telling the woman that she's going to die soon. And she has the most romantic husband on the face of the fucking planet. That's so sweet. Yeah. She doesn't say anything. She just grabs Ropa's hand. So Ropa's like, do you want me to say it again? And she smiles and shakes her head. So she's been waiting for that message, I guess. That's so sweet. And that was the end of that one. So she's going to another house her last stop the silver nose and this is where she delivered an empathetic screw you both to a couple in a bungalow she said the dead wife told ropa that she knew her husband and her best friend were cheating while she lied dying of cancer yeah like you couldn't just wait till she died did they hold hands at the funeral like holy fucking shit people are snakes um i'm glad they had to pay for that and yeah. Rupa says they weren't too happy about the fact that they had to pay for it <laughs> and all i could say was don't shoot the messenger <laughs> she should have told them it was twice as much she should have so anyway she's walking she's got her one headphone in she's listening to chapter 13 of the scottish enlightenment book she says it's riveting the narrator is really good a narrator legit will make or break your audiobook experience and if i ever convince you to get into the audiobook life you really gotta read or listen to serpent and dove it's so freaking good it's got two narrators because it's from two points of view like the male lead and the female lead so it's got like a female and a male and it's they both do voices i'm, I'm freaking loving it so much anyways so funny my note on here when she was like going into it, I was like, oh my God, this is totally Brandy. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm telling you, there's nothing, nothing as relaxing as having a nice, hot, salty, bubbly bath and some candles and a good ass audiobook. Well, let me tell you something. Um, I don't have a bathtub. What? I know. I know. I said the next house you buy has to have a bathtub. My I have eyes two are showers. Watering. What? I have two showers. That is some kind of. I have to move on from this. I know. The, <laughs> like with how shitty I've been feeling the past four fucking weeks, but all I wanted would have been great. Exactly. I wanted to lay in a hot bath. Like with the steam. Yeah. Vitamin C salt is my favorite. Like that crisp orange smell that just, it'll clear you right up. In the sciences, yeah. let's go to Home Depot and just buy a bathtub and just put it in there. And Orlando's going to have to figure it out. We can YouTube it. <laughs> that, what, that's what we're going to fucking do because I need a bath. I need a yeah. bathtub. Or a jacuzzi. Everybody yes. says once you get a hot tub, you never use it. But I love to soak. And if I just always had a hot bath ready for me to soak in, bitch, I would soak every day. I did a workout today. My legs were shaking. I had to soak for like 30 minutes. Oh, my God. That sounds so... Uh, why are you you giving me this (laughs) pornography sorry (laughs) um you need a hot tub yeah that's what I'm thinking (laughs) but in Florida yeah it is hot there that's not gonna be great off topic but we've been dealing with such hot temperature that we're like we need to fucking move back to where it's cold it's hot it's so fucking hot oh and it's been humid here I walk outside and the air assaults me it's thick it's like gosh I could chew it okay it's it says it's only 36 percent but there's something going on Oh my gosh. It feels different than normal. It feels hotter. My hair, like, you know, when your hair gets the humidity in it and it just feels like it's like you can't run your hand through it and it's all stringy. Yeah. Yeah. Those chemtrails. Yeah. Is that what's happening? Yeah. (sighs) Okay. Back Back to to here. Yeah. (laughs) So now she's heading home, listening to her audiobook, and then she sees Nicola appear again and she takes out her piano from her backpack to start playing it and she's like do you have my money now and nicole is like no but and she's like listen i'm gonna be straight with you this isn't how we do things all right yeah (laughs) she's like i know you're new to this so i'm gonna give your dead ass a pass but don't follow me around like this again do you get it and nicola's like i just really need your help and she goes if you have money and a message meet me at the pits i'm there every monday during the witching hour and Nicola's just crying for her boy, saying that he's such a good boy. She wishes that Ropa knew him, but she doesn't care. Yeah, that does not sway Ropa. She's like, tough. Get with the program. I catch you stalking me again. I will cast you out. That's a promise. And she stops playing and walks away from her. Rules is rules, especially when they're my rules. Damn. Yeah. I feel so bad for Nicola. She's like not even answering or engaging with Ropa's conversation at all. She's just like, my son, my son, my son. And that's when you know something bad happened to your kid, that's all you can think. Yeah. So then we're in chapter eight and it's sleeting because it's just shitty weather. It's a shitty world. (laughs) She's talking about how her gran is knitting. She's at home. Is Wee's playing games on her phone. And she's describing their sleeping situation. They have like a berth. It's a U that runs along half of the caravan. It's got upholstery. There's flowers embroidered on it. Flowers everywhere there. Her and her grandma each take like the long ends. And then Izwi sleeps in the middle. And she's thinking she's not sure what they're going to do once Izwi gets taller. But everybody fits right now. And Gran notices that her aura seems off. And so she just says, what's going on? And then Izwi's just like playing a game. And she's just being annoying. And she's like, I just beat my score. And then Gran is like, 
good job. Now try beating that one. Ropa gets a message from Jomo during all this and snatches the phone out of her hand so she could text her back. And the kid's throwing a tantrum, being like, she took her phone. And Grand's like, give her your phone back. Let her play. And ugh, this is just really how they are. And yeah. at this point in the book, I'm just wondering, like, what happened to Ropa and Izui's parents? Like, we haven't heard. Did they get hurt in the like, apocalyptic event that we don't know about That's yet? What- That's what I am wondering, and I'm interested to see if it comes to light. Yeah. So anyways, everybody settles down, and she starts pressing on Ropa, like, what's going on? And Ropa's like, someone's asking me to do work for them. They've been stalking me, and they can't afford my fee. And I'm like, sorry, this ain't Salvation Army. We've got bills to pay. But she keeps coming back. And Gran's like, she must be very desperate with nowhere else to turn. And Ropa's like, nothing's free in this world. You do that for one, you've got to do it for everyone. I'm no mug. And Gran's like, (laughs) you know, she just really lays down some wisdom here on page 47. Don't make the same mistake I made a long time ago and lose yourself in the soulless pursuit of money, child. It's in the most trying times when we ourselves have nothing that we mustn't forget there are higher virtues like compassion, kindness, and solidarity. Doing something when it's hard because it's the right thing to do matters more than doing it when it's easy. The world needs light now more than ever. Topical advice, Graham. It really is. And we learn Ropa's full name. I'm not going to say it because I do not want to butcher it and I don't want to get canceled. (laughs) But I will spell it. Yeah. It's R-O-P-A-F-A-D-Z-O. And it means blessings. And Graham says that she helped Ropa's parents choose it before she was born. It's a special name. And you are your name child. Then she... Gives her a kiss on the forehead and says, there you go. I paid that woman's fee. Give her all the help you can. And I'm like, aw, Gran. And then Ropa gives her a kiss on the cheek and says, there's your change. And I'm like, aw, Ropa. This is so cute. She's defrosting. Good work, Gran. Good work. We all need a good wisdom grandma. Yeah. Wise old Gran. And then we're on chapter nine. Ropa says the best thing about having a fox for a pet is that she does her own thing. She looks after herself. This chapter we learn about the every there a little bit more. Ropa's laying on the birth as we feed her in her face and (laughs) Jomo never responded. She's just thinking about how she needs cash. She's Mm -hmm. just getting anxiety from that. So she asks her grandma if she's awake. Gran says no. And then Ropa says she's going to do a walkabout. Grandma says, you know, the every there's no place to play, Ropa. It will try to keep you if you're not careful. Ropa kind of meditates to go to the every there. Yeah. She's basically like astral projecting. She does some deep breathing. And then eventually she like comes out of her body and soars over the town. When she's like this, you can almost catch sight of the old city because it's like... You're not really looking at what's really there right now. And she says, like the city you'd see in films back in the day, like watching Train Spotting. This is the movie I was talking about earlier. That's from 1996. Ewan McGregor, am I saying his name right? Yeah. Is he Obi-Wan Kenobi? He's some dude who's addicted to heroin in this movie in 1996. He's got like an underage girlfriend. Like it's not, it's not a movie about high class shit. But that's what she considers to be fancy. And that just tells me her world is not great. Yeah, good to know. She says she guesses the world always looks more beautiful through a telescope, though, you know, way up high in the sky. But if you use a microscope and you look really close, you see how things really are. And what you get is much scarier. She's very wise. She is. So she's just like floating around. She says she's on the astral planes. It's very colorful, lots of different realms. And she's trying to focus. 
because, you know, there's lots of stuff going on. She's about to enter the plane of chaos. It's a void. Sounds scary. It's None not of this like sounds the fun. void in John Oliver. This is like, there's dead people here. Yeah. <laughs> it's made of ash. Or she's going into, like, ash. It's raining ash. Everything's buried in heaps and heaps of ash. Everything's dead. She says, whoop-de-fucking-do. I'm in the every there. <laughs> it's thick. She's in the middle of a dense fog. And the air smothers you completely. Ugh, this sounds terrifying. She says she feels like she's decomposing and worms are eating her body. Ugh. Bits of definition start to appear in the darkness. It's never picture perfect, but just enough so you can move around. I don't know why I said around like that. <laughs> she says Gran was right. She tries to avoid coming to the every there because it makes her sick. And this last paragraph just gave me <coughs> goosebumps. She's just talking about how the every there is the shadow behind you at dusk, the ominous form in the corner of your eye, slightly out of focus that you can never make out. It's the muffled sound that hails you, someone calling your name in an empty room when you're all alone. And when you turn, no one's there. The eyes you feel staring at the nape of your neck every second of every day. It's ever there. <sighs> that thing that's in the corner of my eyes that I can never make out gives me anxiety all the time. Thank you for putting a name to it. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> She's just talking about like there's like water coming through because some stuff cuts through from the real world to the every there. And there's like some trees that appear as skeletons like down there. And it's, it's scary. It sounds really scary. And she also says there's no time. So when she moves through like the ash, you would think there's footprints, but there are none because you can't leave a mark because there's no time. The ghosts are just walking around aimlessly because there's nothing to do there. And so she's just trying to like walk around and look dead because there is this scary fucking thing there. Ugh, it's <sighs> got a head of a horse, irisless white eyes where the nostrils are supposed to be, vultures' talons for hands, foicors. And they're the guardians of the every there. So she went here to look for Nicola. Mm -hmm. And now she ran into a Voiker and it's, it's a sex her. Yeah. He's it's just sniffing at her, at her, like gnawing his teeth at her. And thankfully, a bright light happens, something very not ghost-like and a bunch of voikers including that one run over towards it and she's thinking thank goodness they're hungry and this is what they wait for foolish amateurs dabbling in the astral projection or unlucky lost souls in their sick beds slipping in and out of their bodies before their time i really like this one the astral plane is infinite but if you end up in the wrong place you only have yourself to blame ropa thinks that you are in charge of your own destiny 100 percent yeah. And then some screams start ringing out. She said they're the most excruciating screams. It doesn't sound like it will ever stop. That's the cry of a soul being devoured. And there's no coming back from that. She says it's like Neo when he plugs his mind in the Matrix. Mm -hmm. She said, you die here, you die out there, which is pretty interesting. And you'll just like fall into a coma. Like you died in your dream thing and your family won't really know what's going on you'll fall into a coma have a fever a hideous grimace is stenciled on their face then they'll die and no autopsy will ever uncover why and then a gentle voice goes over her and says come with me and she ends up following nicola to an old church and what i thought was interesting here is that she has an actual face she's been around longer now she's starting to learn how to present herself out to people who can see her that was something ropa was trying to explain to us early in the book that when they're young ghosts they don't know how to form themselves into something that people can see but when they're older they can do clothes and all kinds of things 
So Nicola yeah. has a little face, but no hair. No hair. Rope is like, how'd you know I was looking for you? And Nicola says, I knew you'd come. Goodness radiates from you. And she said, and ghosts gossip. We talk about which mediums to avoid, the talkers we like. We've got nothing better to do. So Ropa is a softie on the inside and everyone knows it. Mm-hmm. Ropa's like, I'm just going to tell you the truth. Like, your dude might be dead. Like, your kid might be dead. I don't want to beat around the bush. And Nicola's like, a mother would know. Even if I couldn't find him down here, like, I would know. Something evil is happening in Edinburgh. And Ropa's like, what do you mean? And Nicola's like, I wish I knew, but it's just rumors I've heard. This won't stop with one or two children. Please find Oliver quickly. You should see what they've done to his friend Mark. The two boys were together when they disappeared and only one came back. So Ropa agrees to go do that. And Nicola is like, thank you. They're still listening to the screams, but trying to have a normal conversation. And that's how chapter nine ends. And now we're on chapter 10. Some time has passed because now they're at Chris Robson's house. They're buying coal. And this is another thing that was like the olden days. They never saw coal in the olden days. And that would be right now. We don't use coal. We just have electricity. But they have to go buy coal or they're not going to have any heat in their little thing. So she's buying it. She can't afford bricks or charcoal because it's a little expensive. But Chris puts an extra few lumps in there because he loves her grand. Mm. She says in the olden days, people used to have central heating and everything. Mm-hmm. Real glam. I really want to know, like, when, I mean, I guess we're just supposed to use our imagination for when this is. 2030, 3030? I feel like at the rate we're going, it's 2025. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So this Chris Robson guy just loves her grand because her grand gave him a bracelet with some charms saying that it would help him find the love of his life and now he's talking to someone. And I just think that her and her grand are just the cutest little ghost talking ladies helping everybody out. I and Ropa I... needs to just accept that that's her destiny. She does. She does. She wants to get this pro bono thing out of the way. She wants to get back to chasing the green. So she's headed to Baberton with Jomo and Izzy to find Mark mm-hmm. and hopefully find Ollie to figure out what happened with Ollie when he went missing. Yeah. Jomo's quizzing Izwi on the planets. Izwi is kind of an asshole and goes to Ropa and says, your roots are showing. You should dye your hair green again. <laughs> Kids are the worst. The worst. <sighs> they end up talking about Jomo's new job. And Jomo's like, there's nothing to say. Just a lot of stacking books and taking them to the shelf, blah, blah, trying to make it sound boring. But Ropa notices that he's blinking a lot and that he does that when he's lying. She just says, I'd like to come see it sometime, but she's not going to press, even though she knows she can convince him to tell her the truth. And we know the truth. It's the Library of the Dead. It's way cooler than stacking books. Well, it probably isn't cooler than stacking books, but it is for the patrons. Yeah. He's saying that it's really boring and it's just a bunch of stuck up people who visit. And then he changes the subject. On page 60, they're just walking and she talks about like, oh, if I had real money, I'd want a nice crib. She doesn't Mm -hmm. want a mansion, but something with three bedrooms would be nice. And then Jomo asks Ropa if she remembers when Ropa threw Isabel's bag into the canal. And Jomo says she still goes in the other direction every time you show up near college. Ropa says that was a bit excessive, but she deserved it. Yeah. Yeah, that's what you get for being a bully, bitch. Yeah. I'll throw your bag in the river. Yep. That's funny. They make it to the house. It's a nice house. It says it's well-trimmed. It separates it from the neighbors, how well-trimmed their hedges are. And it's got nice big windows looking out on the streets with no burglar bars. 
She says, in the South Side, that's just asking for it. Their whole plan that they've concocted is just to walk up and ring the doorbell and ask Mark's mom if they can see him because they're friends. And I'm just thinking, like, if my kid just got kidnapped and was just returned, he's not going outside to play with any friends, especially not friends I don't know. Period. Yeah, that's, that's what I think, too. And that's basically what Mark's mom says like mark's very poorly and we don't want you to catch anything goodbye and slams the door in their faces so they start peeking in the window because they're kids and they don't give a fuck bruh and they can see mark sitting in there just sitting very still ropa says she waves but he doesn't respond and there's something weird about him something a little off she can't quite put her finger on it just a general sense of weirdness but at this point i'm like mark is not okay he got the life sucked out of him by a sorceress and that's what's going on honestly i think that this king did you read ahead i didn't i started suspecting that he got his life sucked out on page 61 because i read a lot of fantasy fiction oh okay and you know feeding on the souls of young youthful people is just a way that you get power they've got good fresh naive young power you can use it to make yourself young that's what all the evil witches do good to know so i think that this king that everybody is worshiping has some gigantic nefarious plot to suck out the souls of all of these children with some like witch on the down low like that's what i think is going on personally as soon as they said he was sitting there all weird i freaking knew it right there that he got the life sucked out of him they still haven't confirmed it in the reading that we've done so far but him being there like not able to talk in the next chapter is confirmation to me yeah so now we're on chapter i'm assuming this is 11 yep xi 11 And she's trying to figure out the different plans to figure out what, figure out, figure out, figure out, figure Mm -hmm. out, figure out. Uh, (laughs) Is that even a word anymore? (laughs) No. She's looking at the plans to find out what's going on with Mark. She's read Art of War twice. She said that's her Bible. She is like, there has to be another way. She knows the Jankowskis are hiding something and she's going to figure it out. She said curiosities killed cats, but they never mentioned kids. So I, so I should be all right. So she's sneaking over their fence and there's chickens and she's like, crap, I'm going to get caught. But warm eggs sound good. So maybe I'll grab some before I go back. Ropa, you cannot steal from these people whose son was just taken. They've had enough trauma. So anyway, she waits for the chickens to stop making so much noise and notices where the kitchen door is. Like she spots some hedges. She's casing this joint because she's breaking the fuck in. She climbs onto a window, still hoists herself onto the roof, and just then somebody, like, pops outside and lights up a not-a-cigarette and has a few deep drags, flicks his roach over his neighbor's fence. She really thought she was going to get caught. Yeah. So she waits a second. He leaves. She's not caught. So she starts breaking into the bathroom. Like, she's talking about how the bathroom is always, like, the best way to get in. Lots of people leave that door open because they're letting bad smells out after they take a poo or letting out steam. So she opens it and starts moving all the stuff from, like, the shelf next to it, sneaks in quietly. She says, the window's kind of small, but if your head can fit, your body will follow. And then I was just (laughs) thinking of childbirth. Well, she says the universal lesson everyone learns when they're born. (laughs) I don't love that lesson. I don't love it. No. (laughs) So anyways, she gets in. She has a smooth landing. And as soon as she lands, she hears somebody walking up. And she didn't, like, lock the door or anything. So she just hops in the tub and closes the curtain. This is, like, one of my greatest fears, by the way, that I'll just, like, find an intruder in my bathroom. I know, and she's lucky that they were just going in to take a dump and not take a shower. (laughs) She says, the sounds, the horrors. 
The Luftwaffe dropping bombs on God-fearing villages. Chemical attacks by banned nerved agents. I endure it all. (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, now I'm thinking I should have locked the door. Yeah. By and by, the war comes to an end. (laughs) The toilet flushes. (laughs) Oh, man. But somehow, like, they didn't see all the shit that she moved. And she was kind of freaking out about it. She says... People don't see things right in front of them if they don't expect them. Through that. Yeah. After a bit, she's able to tiptoe out of the bathroom. And like her plan B here, she wasn't able to walk through the front door and have the parents give her access to the boy. She decided to break in and go talk to him instead. Like these people are suffering trauma after trauma, but she gets into the boy's room. And she sees a tiny figure laying in the bed. She is like, let me go unlock the window and open it just in case I need to get out quickly. Yeah, always have to have an escape plan she's just kind of explaining what's going on in his room it smells like decay and rot and putrefaction and she sees mark sleeping says he's making little baby noises in his throat says she sees the freakiest shit ever cirque du freak horror show she says his skin's got the normal youthful glow except it grows in lumps and folds not a spot or stubble on it baby flesh on a geriatric head chink sunk in like he ain't got no teeth and i'm saying his life got sucked out of him by an evil sorceress yeah so she snaps a couple pictures and then she tries to wake him up and she's like what happened to you tell me where all he is and then he says eek eek neek and (laughs) he can't talk yeah like his brain is so garbled that he can't form language anymore so something got him but now he's making a lot of noise and somebody is coming in to help him so she jumps out the window that sounds awful doesn't it yeah so that's the end of chapter 11 and now we're on chapter 12 rope is back at home she's frazzled but She's trying to make some sandwiches for Izwi so she can uh, get to school. She mentions that milk's off the budget at the mow, so her sister's just having Frosties with hot water. And I think it's really cute that Ropa's going without milk to help Ollie because if she was making money, she'd probably be able to get some milk. She sent the pictures of Mark to Jomo, and he says, super freakishes ever. Yeah. (laughs) And, like, these two teenagers are ruling out that this kid has progeria, which is, like, that Benjamin Button disease. Because he would have had some symptoms, and it just didn't fit. And Nicola would have mentioned it. Yeah. I hate the way Jomo texts. I do, too. I'll see if we have anything in the e-library. Oh, my God. Just fucking stop. (laughs) And Rope is like, great. I'll come, too. And And she's hoping that if she keeps poking at it, that he'll let her go. Yeah. He's not going to text her back right away. So now she's talking to Gran while she waits for a response from him. And Gran's just telling her uh, why she likes to knit. Because we are mind, heart, and hand. This is actually a little magic lesson that Gran's trying to give her. She, like, just forms, like, this ball of stone out of air and tosses it to Ropa, and Ropa's able to catch it. She says it weighs as much as a bowling ball. And they're just talking about magic, and then the ball disappears in her hand, and Gran is like, all right, you have to make it. And she keeps asking her if you feel it. And Ropa's just so distracted by things that are going around that she can't form the crystal. Yeah, her mind is way too busy. She's thinking about her sister's uniform. She's thinking she just can't do this. She's never going to be as good as her grand. She's going to need to learn to meditate before she is good at this, I think. 
Yeah. She's trying to draw the magic up from the earth because her grand says that's where you draw the power up. So she's picturing the earth and trying to do it, but just nothing. Ropa says seeing ghosts is simple. You just have to know where to look. But she doesn't even know why grand bothers with this. This magic thing doesn't even pay the bills. It's for gentlemen and top hats and penguin suits. Grand just says you're not focused. And Ropa's like, I'm sorry. It's just too hard. She goes, what matters? You're trying to learn the form. And then her grand says she was in her 20s before she mastered it. And she says, just remember when you go out to battle, you need a spear and a shield full of knowledge. Grand can tell that Ropa is distracted. So she's like asking her what's going on and finally gets her to come clean with the kid and the weird disease that he seems to have. And Grand's like, well, just make sure you always check the natural before you check the supernatural. But she's never heard of it. And then Grand's like, okay, my show's on. Turn it on. Turn on the TV. (laughs) Shobin's game. Yep. This is a show about like people getting makeovers and shit and i'm not surprised that reality tv survives the apocalypse yeah i'm not either especially makeovers she is thinking in her head like why do people like this trash tv and she comes to the conclusion that people actually watch to see not the ones who win but the ones who lose because it makes us feel better to feel better than someone else you know yeah. This is another cute little moment. Her <laughs> and her grand are just talking about the outfits on the show, and her grand can't see that well, so she's just describing it to the, her, and this is just their thing. It's what they do. She talks about how the host, Chauvin, is stunning, and Grand says, that's what you get for lots of money and a bit of Botox. Yep, exactly. Grand <laughs> said that she needed to go to the bathroom, and that's when Ropa said, I have to go. The acoustics ain't great. And then Jomo texted and said... Okay, but you can't tell anyone about this forever. About the library. Yeah, so she's going to the library. And it's going to be scary. It's going to be real scary. (laughs) Really scary. Not as scary as a Voicor, but... Almost as scary. Almost. So we're on chapter 13, and I had to Google so many fucking things on this page. First of all, the Ald Reeky, that means Old Smoky, and that's a nickname for Edinburgh. In case you're wondering. Oh, that's interesting. (laughs) Yeah. She's just like, she's walking around. I don't know exactly where she is, but she definitely can see raw sewage. (laughs) And she mentions there's floaters bobbing around. That's disgusting. (laughs) She said, looks like workmen started fixing the pipes and then took a permanent lunch break. Yeah. (laughs) There's another word in the second sentence of the first paragraph. It's a smothering blanket of nostril blashing effaluva have you ever heard that before no it means harmful odor oh my gosh (laughs) this guy's got some vocab yeah so anyway she's making her way into the city still walking because she still doesn't have a bike she mentions again and she's actually talking about how she's pulling her hoodie up and hiding her face because she has some ex-associates who she doesn't fraternize with no more (laughs) they're bad news at 14 at 14 who are these associates she notices another ghost while they're walking, but she doesn't engage with him. Domo is wearing all white. She is making fun of him because he's wearing, like, robes. It's so funny. They're meeting up basically outside of a cemetery, and Jomo's like, blend in. Don't talk to anyone. Don't touch anyone. Don't tell anybody that you're here. This is going to be super illegal. Like, he's so serious about this. And she's still like, whatever. This is a library. I'm being talked to by a man in a dress. Like, not taking it very seriously. And she's like, I'm not going to mess up your hustle. I'll behave. We talked about it in the beginning of this book. She doesn't like to go through cemeteries because 
of the ghosts there and mm. they have to walk through a cemetery so she kind of keeps her head down so people can't tell that she's a ghost talker yeah if they know that she can see them they're gonna engage and ugh, she's talking about in this cemetery these are old ghouls she says they're mental they form themselves into the most atrocious shapes skin dangling clothes torn less ghost more spectral zombie and they're angry and malevolent <sighs> gross she says they make some disgusting guttural sounds She's Ugh. just following Jomo. Jomo's like, what's up, Abe, to an Abe statue? And Why do they have an Abraham Lincoln statue? I don't That's know. What, I was like, what the fuck? Do you think Edinburgh really has an Abraham Lincoln statue? I don't know. Are you Googling it? I am. I don't know why anyone would. I mean, other than the fact he huh. freed slaves. Lincoln in Scotland, a gift of the Gilded Age. It's George oh. Bissell's statue, it says. This is just what Google's spitting out at me. Interesting. Okay. So it's a gift. It's commemorating Scottish soldiers who died in the Union Army during the American Civil War. Oh, interesting. There's also a freed slave on it. Oh. It's believed to be the only statue outside of the U.S. that marks the Civil War. Interesting. Yeah. So they keep walking and Jomo calls her over to a mausoleum and he goes, this is where it is. And she goes, this ain't no biblioteca, man. (laughs) (laughs) I would be pissed. She's pissed, but I would be like... I wouldn't have gone with. Cemeteries are scary. And then he opens up like some manhole cover and is like, climb in. Yeah. What? He like pulls out some old timey key, opens up a padlock. Even the ghouls back away from the gate that they open. Like that's how fucking weird and scary this place is. They're going down, down into the darkness. He opens up this tomb basically and it's completely dark. And then all these sconces just flare to life the candles light up in the hallway of their own volition this place is actually fucking magic the library itself is magic she says it even smells good down there you can't even smell the gross smells of the city and then the flames die as they pass it so because obviously i'm so cultured i think of harry potter here i'm like oh okay i was thinking of an automatic door for a grocery store but magic (laughs) okay so Jomo's trying to rush her through this, but she is, like, trying to soak in every single detail of this place. She's saying there's, like, all kinds of different graffiti on all of the walls, and it doesn't look like it's supposed to make any sense. They carved the shit straight out of the stone, and there's just walls filled with, like, ancient text. Sounds Written pretty cool. Gaelic and cursive. She keeps following Jomo. The stairs are worn and concave. With each one, it begins to dawn on her where they are. Mm -hmm. This is very much kind of like the places that the likes of her aren't supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And Jomo says, this is the librarian's walk. We ascend into the library. The readers have a separate entrance. They descend. But I couldn't take you that way because we'd get spotted. He whispers, Ropamoyo, welcome to the library of the dead. We're here. We are here. She didn't even know this place existed. It's interesting to me because her and her grandma, and presumably her mom too, were magical like they're part of this community but left out why why are they being left out why is their type of magic not more prevalent in today's times i want to know i want to know too but i'm also wondering if it's because they're poor and i wonder Mm -hmm. if like whatever plague they went through was like a fight of the powers of course i mean that's really what's going to end our world isn't it yeah some stupid human skirmish. Yeah. So we start chapter 14 with Jomo being like super excited and he's just excited to finally have something cool to show Ropa because Ropa left school and started doing 
ghost talking and like you know when you're in school and people go work that seems really cool but really you're working to pay bills and taxes it's not cool but Jomo's still excited that he has something to show off and Ropa's like not gonna give it to him not gonna admit that this is really fucking cool yep and he's like you're gonna get me fired and she I'm assuming flips him off she says flip him a v I had to look that up and over there in the UK you do a v simple oh you can add this arm situation I'm doing it right now to make it real bad Oh, oh, I remember. I got in trouble at soccer one time because someone pissed me off so bad that I did that. Yeah. And I got taken out of a game. It's real fucking offensive. The, the English know how to offend people and they perfected it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so they're in a massive, like, spherical room. This library sounds crazy. Like, it's carved completely out of stone and it's just a sphere and there are floors in it. So they're on the middle floor and there are floors above them, but each floor is like smaller than the one before. Cause it's like obviously a sphere. And then like, it also goes down like that. It sounds really cool. It does. Every, every single thing in this thing is carved out of the rock. They said like this bookshelf, the benches, the tables, everything is sculpted from the rock itself. Like this place could not be super earthquake safe probably not there's hundreds of candles lining all of the edges like that's all of the light is candlelight it sounds really cool and she's trying not to geek out because it smells fresh everything that's carved statues that punctuate dark stone with white ink like a black page she's just so interested to everything and then jomo is tugging her on the sleeve to move so they don't get caught She says, this is the biggest collection of books I've ever seen in my life. Fanny Flutter alert. This is what I was telling you earlier, the Fanny Flutter. If you look it up, some girl on Love Island coined it in 2019, and it just means you're getting turned on. That's hilarious. (laughs) But also, this library would turn me on, too. It sounds hot. Yeah. Man. So anyways, she ends up getting dragged along by Jomo, hiding in the shadows, and he, like, opens up these doors. He puts on a pair of gloves to open the door, and he says, this is where we'll hide you. Should be no one inside. And then as soon as he opens the door, there's light pouring out of it, and a man says, what is the meaning of this? And it's Jomo's dad, and he's talking to Jomo like, Mr. Meiji, I asked you a straightforward question. And, like, totally fucking busted them, totally being, like, very fucking professional, calling them Mr. Meiji and Mrs. Moyo. He's scary. He is. Ropa's like, I'll just leave. And then she's like, just need to take some of the flack for Jomo, who's kind of scared shitless at the Mo. And she's like, can't blame him. His dad has straight lines and right angles. She's like, even I'm kind of furt. I looked that one up, too. It just means you're scared. Oh, So she goes to try to explain him what happened, and Dr. Mage said, did I ask you to speak, Miss Moyo? I think it's Mage. It might be Meiji. I don't know. No, it might just be Mage. It might be Meiji. Dr. Mage talks to Jomo and says, your job is to wash floors, scrape candle wax, clean toilets. It is not to bring outsiders to this institution or tell them of its existence. And so then Jomo's dad takes Ropa into a room yeah mr mage tell mr sneeden to bring the rule book and then go wait in my office i'll deal with you later he's scary the line where he said those rules were explained to you on day one were they not like you talk to your son like this this is so mean yeah but then it also makes sense because we learn in this chapter the next one that the doctor is a magician Mm -hmm. so i'm wondering if he's also a psychic or a medium Or he's the sorcerer who's sucking the life out of these kids. Oh, that could be it too. (laughs) 
So that ends chapter 14. And we start chapter 15 with Ropa thinking about how her and Jomo have been friends forever. And they used to stay the night at his house or stay the night at each other's house. They used to be neighbors before they lost their house. And the wife is really nice, but the husband is a dick. He's always like in a study doing research or whatever. She still doesn't think this is going to be very bad. She ends the first paragraph of chapter 15 thinking, point is, whatever this is, it's going to be a slap on the wrist and that's all. It's not. She like follows him down some stairs. He looks stressed the fuck out. Like she notices how rigid he is and how creepy these lower levels are. They're more cave-like and grim and I'm like there's probably some fucking dungeons in here somewhere they go into a room with a giant white sarcophagus in the middle of the room oh and he's just telling her about the library this library was built as the repository of all the Scotland's magical know-how many librarians and magicians have passed through the halls and every one of them earned their place here basically telling her that she's not welcome and she's a trespasser who is violating the sanctity of the space. There's something chilling about the delivery of these words. In her head, she's like, I hope Jomo doesn't get in too much trouble for this. Oh, she says that out loud. And Dr. Mage says, you'd do well to focus on your own situation. Ugh. She's like, what's with this whole miss thing anyways? He is like slipped on his professional suit and you cannot get through it. No. So then Mr. Sneedon brings the rule book. He's carrying onto the flat surface of the tomb. Excuse me. It's a big leather-bound book that seems to have been taking a battering over the years. She says it's tattoo-like spirals and symbols run across its cover. At least a foot thick and has a lot of pages. Like, it's so big that they open the book and one of them is holding the pages on one side and the other is holding the pages on the other side. She's talking about how surreal this is. Like, she's standing in front of a solid white marble sarcophagus watching these guys read through this super thick old rule book. Very weird. Dr. Mage says, you're here under charge of trespass, Miss Moyo. And Rope is like, technically, it's not trespassing if one of your staff brought me here. And Sneedon is kind of, like, on her side. He, like, subtly nods. Dr. Mage is not persuaded here. He does not give a fuck about what she says. How you got here is irrelevant. According to the rule book, once you're here, you must answer for your presence. And she's like, I'm a licensed ghost talker. That's got to count for something. So they're like flipping through the rule book, trying to see what the rule book says about if a ghost talker is welcome in the library or not. And they flip to page 3,259. There are over 3,000 pages in this rule book. <laughs> My God. And it says ghost talkers, otherwise known as visionaires, talkers, hunt mail, etc. The Registration Act of 2003 has seen this historic profession given recognized status out with the society as part of the allied professions. It is noted here that while it is accepted that these artisans receive messages from the other world within their scope of practice, they merely act as a passive communication conduit. Thus, they cannot be said to be practicing magical science. Yeah, they say they can't be said to be practicing magical science any more than a telephone wire can be said to be communicating, and that's just so mean. <laughs> Such a scathing political statement. So anyways, he says that settles that. And Sneedon's like, well, this young lady has no advocate. Perhaps we should adjourn until one is found for her. Like, he's really on her side. It's so cute. And now Ropa's starting to get nervous because she's like, why would I need a fucking lawyer? I don't have the money for that. And, like, this isn't that serious. But it is fucking serious. Dr. Mage is like, uh, Mr. Sneedon, may I remind you of Rule 89.2-1? Like, 
these people who know the rules this well, first of all, are never fucking cool. Second no. of all, they're never fucking cool. And I don't need to say more on the topic. This rule states that anyone of a sound mind over the age of seven, seven, can answer to the head librarian for their infractions. That's crazy. And he's like, are you over seven? Hey, I'm just yes or no. He ends up freaking trapping her into a corner to admitting guilt and telling Mr. Seaton to record it as a willful trespass. And the penalty for trespass is hanging by the neck until you expire. What a casual way to say we're going to fucking kill you. Yeah. Bitch. She says, screw this kangaroo shit. She reaches for the caddy in her back pocket and literally like launches a fucking rock at Dr. Mage. (laughs) But he knows magic. So he slows the rock down and stops it. In midair. She says, Sneedon bows his head and touches the bridge of his nose as though he's somewhat embarrassed for me. And I'm like, yeah, he's fucking embarrassed for you. You brought a rock to a magic fight. Yep. And so he goes, where were we? Yeah, he just plucks the rock out of the air. He doesn't give a fuck about your little tricks, Ropa. (laughs) And now someone else comes to Ropa's side. Mm Mm-hmm. He is in a beige brown color suit. It makes her think of Clay Pigeon. He walks up to Dr. Mage and stands in front of him blocking Ropa's shot because they thought they were gonna, she was going to have a second go. The guy says, I see you're letting the little riffraff in, continuing with the same progress policies as your predecessor, mm-hmm. progressive policies. Dr. Mage is like, you're mistaken. And the guy is basically like, no, but I can smell the aura of a Shivanhu craft about the girl. And so her grandma's magic is coming in handy. Yes. So she has it, even though she doesn't think she does. Like some rando off the street can sense it on her. This motherfucker saved her life with that comment. Yeah. He pulls a freaking book out of his sleeve and is like, you should read this book. Shouldn't be beyond your level of comprehension. Everybody here is so fucking rude. They are. (laughs) Dr. Mage is pissed off. He's like, you have a sanction against practicing magic outside the underhume. And this new guy, Sir Calander? Calendar? I don't know. He's just like, <laughs> whatever. It was just a trick. And then he tells Ropa to make wise of her time in the Elgin, which I think is part of the library. And it confuses Ropa, but definitely pisses off dr mage because now he knows that she's not a trespasser and then he says turns out after all you must be admitted suck it (laughs) bitch he goes on to talk about how some other rules apply so she is still going to be in trouble she's going to be fine she's going to lose privileges for a year blah 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 i think that ropa is going to in the long run get in charge of this library and burn that fucking book to ashes personally yeah I could see that. So they pull out some contracts, the library contract, and make her sign in blood. And now she is a member of the library. And she has to get a library card to check out the book that that guy gave her. And guess what her library card is? An ear. A desiccated ear. She says she just throws it in her pocket and tries to leave. So she also has to pay a hefty fine and the membership fee. Mm-hmm. So now she's even more stressed out. Yeah. Because she's... the fee is six months in wages. That's crazy. Ugh. The fine, she says, is her rent. Like, that's crazy. Ugh. Whatever. She gets the freaking book. She puts it in her pocket. 
She says she's really glad she didn't find out what the penalty is for not returning a book on time because Mr. Steenden is like, we're very serious about our checkout policies. Um, but I think the penalty for everything in this is death. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking too. That's what I'm feeling. Does Jomo die? Because we don't ever figure out what happens to him. Yeah. We're about to start our last chapter of this reading and we're not going to hear from Jomo again. So she's back home and she says she's never been happier despite Jomo's psycho dad trying to have her hanged, but she's still no closer to finding Ollie, but she does have a plug at the library. So she's hoping that kind of levels out the situation. I'm howling at that line. I have someone's ear in my pocket and a plug <laughs> at the library. <laughs> okay, then. So I guess Jomo is texting her, but she's just ignoring him because mm-hmm. she wants him to know that she's mad about the situation he put her in. He really did not express how serious the situation was. He didn't. And I feel like if you're just assuming you're going to a library, you could have gone in with Ropa's level of not caring. So, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, he really let a lot of people down there. Yeah. So, (laughs) Gran is watching Murder, She Wrote, while Izzy's at school. And she is just hanging out yeah she's talking about how she likes uh, watching these old school shows and old video games because it's nice to see what it was like before the catastrophe she says pure glam i just thought that was really funny but a lot of this chapter is just her cleaning out the toilet she just yeah. takes the basically the tub of the toilet and empties it out in their place and it sounds awful i would hate doing this job Mm -hmm. she's even talking about how she can feel the liquid sloshing around in there and she's glad because if it's frozen it's harder to get it out yeah she is just thinking about how all technology is great but nothing beats an old good old-fashioned flush toilet because uh you can just flush it and not carry buckets of literal shit through your entire trailer park to dump it you know yeah, Yuck. my note here is uh, I could not live without a flushable toilet. Yeah, definitely not. I didn't realize that that was something that I needed to say out loud, but yeah, same. Mm-hmm. So after she cleans the toilet, she goes to say goodbye to Gran because she's going to see Nicola's parents to mm-hmm. figure out what happened with Ollie. River's coming with her because she wants to go with her. Um, yeah. She, Ropa talks about how foxes survived whatever it was because they eat scraps of everything wolves died bears died during whatever catastrophe that they went through foxes only survived because they learned how to survive on whatever they could get and if you can't learn to survive on whatever you can get you won't survive when you can't get what you're used to getting those are the facts mm-hmm. oh she does talk about Honest Abe again here because she's Mm -hmm. talking about dropping out of school and how she's listening to a science podcast because she needs to always be learning since she's not doing schooling. And she says Honest Abe was an autodictat and he went on to become the 16th president of the United States. Yeah, so you don't need no school. You can do whatever you want. Learn on your own. I really like this paragraph too. She says, the funny thing is, the more I learn, the more I feel that I know even less than all there is to know. It's like you reach the horizon only to see the damn thing keeps on stretching further out. Yeah, that's true. Yep, it is. The more you learn, the more you find out that you don't know anything. Yeah. Thanks, but no thanks. She's walking along even thinking about um, killing a seagull, but she couldn't get it. 
it was just out of her range. But apparently her and River are a good hunting team. She's a good bird dog. Ugh. This paragraph on 101 talking about why seagulls are gross. She's talking about how you have to soak it in salt water and vinegar to suck all the gunk out of the meat. Because they eat trash. That was disgusting. Gross. She makes it to the house she's trying to get to. She sees garden gnomes, empty milk bottles sitting at the door for collection. And it opens before she can even knock and then mr stewart says god save the king she says long may he reign it's so fucking weird and she just gets to business i'm here on behalf of nicola is mrs stewart also in and so he invites her in and they invite the fox in and mr stewart seems quite uncomfortable with the fox yeah i really enjoyed though that miss stewart susan is like would you like a cup of tea and then asks if the fox will be having tea as well (laughs) (laughs) but she's an old lady and she's got arthritis and the twisted bent fingers gnarled like roots of a tree she says that's something i'm so scared of happening to me me too so we also kind of get a look at what life was like before the war Mm -hmm. mr stewart has a picture of himself young in full military gear all over the fireplace mantle there's a massive portrait of the king in a uniform sash medals and all And then there's a picture of Mrs. Stewart, Nicola, and Ollie. And she spots a mini Union Jack proudly flying next to China Dolls and a commemorative plate featuring the last Queen of England. Thinks that Mr. Stewart's one of the soldiers that came up from down south during the catastrophe Mm -hmm. and got billeted here but never left. I think he's kind of a dick who's obsessed with the king. And this is where I just started getting an inkling that the king's probably involved because, like, how the fuck is this king so deeply implanted in everybody's brain that the first time they meet someone new they have to say, like, God save the king. Like, the king's doing some fucked up shit. He's definitely involved. Yeah. And this guy's like pissed off that Ropa's the one who's going to help. He's like, the police don't care. So what can you do about it? I bled for this country, but they won't lift a finger to find my grandson. Okay. So what you're telling me is the government won't help you. So Ropa is your only candidate, but you're talking shit to her. Like you yourself are admitting that she's your only hope. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like a conservative. And she's doing it for free. Exactly. She changes the subject and is just like, what do you remember about the day Ollie went missing? Yeah. Thank God she had to get off that topic. Yeah. And Susan comes back, thank goodness, so she can, like, actually talk to somebody who's going to be helpful. But Susan just like, we don't have milk. Sorry, the milkman stopped coming a few days ago. We do a monthly shop, and the husband's even being mean to her, saying, the girl doesn't care about all that. She's asking about Oliver. Nicola won't move on until he's found. Like, he's just so fucking pissed. And he's such an asshole for someone that's doing something for them for free. Yeah, like, I understand he's grieving. Like, his grandson's dead, his daughter's gone, but do you want help or do you not want help? Because, like, this bitch is harassing Ropa to get help. Anyway. (sighs) Mrs. Stewart says a few weeks ago, Ollie was playing out back with his friend, Mark. Mm -hmm. They were on the trampoline. Nicola was at university doing her nursing, so they looked after Ollie whenever she was gone. She said he was a good boy, wasn't hard work caring for him, but then they disappeared. They thought they may have gone to Mark's house, but his parents came calling and they didn't know where he was either. Ropa said, did Mark's parents tell you anything when he came back? And they say all they said was he just turned up at their doorstep one evening and was in rough shape. Like, he'd had the life drained out of him. Never seen anything like it. Nell says, these things simply didn't happen in our day. And that's what old people always say. But Always. They had serial killers in your day, Now, 
when people just that. opened up a door. Rope is like, did you hear anything? Did they cry out when they were taken? And Susan's like, no, not a peep. So Rope is like, must have been somebody they knew. But still very fucking hard to get two kids at once. And she's thinking about how she's been listening to old American podcasts. <laughs> and they're talking about how a kid went missing in the 90s in Minnesota and he was never found. The wrong guy was arrested. And even though he was acquitted, the town people still like vilified him. And if you don't find a kid within 24 hours, you're probably not going to fight them. And that's even with the police involved. So she just didn't think that this kid had very good hopes. And nowadays, nobody even fucking cares. So, like, very low hopes. But she said she made a promise to Grand to help, so she has to at least try. If Mark came back, there's hope for Ollie. All in the same thought. She always, always has so much in her brain. She's thinking, this tea tastes like cow piss, but Susan made the effort, so I'll drink every drop. <laughs> Uh, she ends up going up to Ollie's bed she's looking around and everything's like normal football posters pictures she takes a picture there's crayon drawings there's toys there's dirty sneakers she says it's all normal she can't quite put a finger on it though something doesn't quite add up she needs to figure out what the hell happened to the wee man and then that's where we stopped that's where we stopped I am nervous to find a little ollie i hope he hasn't had his life sucked out i know like maybe they grabbed both boys and like got their quick hit off mark and then put ollie in the fridge for later for their next feeding and maybe ropa will be able to find him i hope so <laughs> did you like that yeah <laughs> ah, are you enjoying this book so far i am yeah not but, when I get nightmares from it, but... Well, yeah, as long as you're awake and conscious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hopefully nothing scary... Okay, scary stuff is probably going to happen. Scary stuff has already happened. It's only going to get worse. I'll put on my big girl panties. I just won't binge it. I'll read it better, so I'm not binging it. And I so, think that'll help. So far, only boys have been taken, but Ropa does have a younger sister. Yep. Do you think she's going to be taken at some point? Oh, that is a good question. It just popped into my head. I'm going to say yes, because that would make a good plot twist. Right? Like, you introduce characters close to the main character so you could do fucked up shit to them and get a reaction from the audience. So, yeah, I feel like that's what's going to happen and it's going to be sad. Or he's going to do something to sweet Gran. I hope she doesn't die. She's so old. She can't see. I know. But, man, it would know. develop the character, though. It would. And this is a series, so I feel like we are going to deal with some character development in this first book. Yeah. And I wonder if Dr. Mage ends up helping. God, I fucking hope so. What? He's just got such a stick up his ass. Like, anyone who has 3,500 pages worth of rules for their club, like, sir, you don't want to be a part of this. They try to control people. Yeah. <laughs> That's, those are the facts. Big. Well, do you want to read to, we can either read to page 199 or 207. I'm down for 207. That's 100 yeah. pages. Let's do 207. And then that leaves us with like 100 pages to finish after that. Perfect. Okay. Well, I will talk to you again after we've read 100 more pages. I look forward to it. <laughs>